Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is the story of how one small island conquered the world. Jamaican Patwa. And a fair start, Asafa Pound. Usain Bolt is also out well. Here they come down the track. Usain Bolt! It's a story of music, sport and style. How its rhythms, athletes and language went global. Pull up, pull up! This is how Jamaica conquered the world. Now available on iTunes. How Jamaica conquered the world. The podcast for people who didn't know it had. Is taking on Yay, Linda Fallon. Oh, she's taking on Linda Snell's mantle. She'll be mainlining salbutamol and sniffing self-righteously before we know it. Should Fallon not be out on the pool rather than messing about distressing trestle tables for the WI? Uh, listen, anything that gets her away from that terrible PC carpet burns. <laughs> I heartily agree with. Oh, such a let. A little bit of me wants to see her back with Ed. A little bit of you does not. I know, and we all know which bit. Um, Krusty and the Sausage King looked around their new home or their pile of loose chippings, as it is at the moment, and Krusty bought new undies from Undie Woods and, of course, showed them to a casual acquaintance in the middle of Felpersham High Street, as you would. She also bought what she referred to as a going-away outfit, a term I haven't heard for years. If I was her, I'd be buying a go-away outfit to put the Sausage King off, but each to her own. This wedding just seems absolutely doomed to me. It's going to be crusty and her undercrackers on her own, gloomily eating 400 sausage rolls in Catheter Hall. Dan Dan the Army Man took St Shula out for lunch at the ball to apologise for joining the army and not sue grab it and run the solicitors of Borsetshire. He ordered a pint of lager and this happened. So what do you think about Mum then, Shula? I mean, you have heard, haven't you? What's this? Oh, your gran's moving into Brookfield. And a pint of lager. She's already at Brookfield. Permanently. Oh. It's probably a good thing. What the hell was that? Is it mice in the pumps? Or has Kenton now got a hydraulic arm and no one's mentioned it? 
Shula wants uh, Dan to get a degree before he joins the army, travels the world, meets interesting people and kills them. Dan Dan the army man was treated as though he was a four-year-old wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt when he went to the ball. Ooh, are they your new boots? Don't you look smart? Yes, says little Daniel as his mummy pulls his trousers up. Kenton and Jolene's weird old sub-dom relationship rumbles on. Um, Jolene can keep a strop on for weeks. She's like a tantric sulker. Callum the newt barman is still winding Kenton up, but she seems to have forgiven him for not unblocking the drains. And I'm really, really hoping that's not a euphemism. Easter was all around us. An ass appeared in church and she brought a donkey with her. Coco the donkey appeared as part of Shula's bid to be seen as St. Francis of Assisi of Ambridge, which isn't entirely successful as there have been a fatality in two near misses so far. Nice going, Shu. And then the Jazza for Jesus campaign died on its arse. And instead we have... We have Quiss on the Cross. Call me old-fashioned, but I... Criss-cross. <laughs> a crucifix. Everybody jump. <laughs> Call me old-fashioned, but I find something a little icky about ogling Jesus. And I'm fairly sure, though my scripture knowledge is shaky, that our Lord and Saviour did not wear leather hot pants and a dusting of Saint-Tropez. Uh, Shrill Jill, back at Brooker's again. Josh and oh, Ben are delighted. Oh... Josh and Ben are delighted because they're fed up with being given frozen pizza and whatever Ruth can scrape out the silage clamp for dinner every day. Elizabeth's being snarky because she's just cottoned on that Ruth now has a cook slash housekeeper on hand 24-7. Whereas she, Elizabeth, merely has a stately home, a chef, a gardener, a chauffeur, an office full of staff and uh, Lewis. She's helpless, abandoned and practically on the breadline. Wait line. a minute, when's what? the last time we heard from Lewis? Well, he's another one of the disappeared, isn't he? He's probably off on Antiques Roadshow. Maybe that's what he's doing. They're touring at the moment. Moment, aren't they? Mm, I don't know. Um, Titchy Knob, slowly morphing into Gollum, sliming about with Helen as my precious. God knows what they've done with Gollum. Can I just jump in? Yes. I don't like Bob. Oh, good! No, no. And I really tried to go with him. And yes, I understand that the whole point of Rob is to be an antagonist. And the writers, as we said last week, had written him brilliantly in this very slow but deliberate descent from knight in shining armour into just sexist man. Yeah. But when he came out with his line last week about, oh, you know, they've got a woman to be the, uh, yeah. you know, on, on you know, the chairman of the board. That was the last draw for me. But what I don't quite understand, Rob is a sexist caveman. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But he's not homophobic. And you would actually think that those two things are generally, generally, not always, generally kind of concurrent. Yeah, but you're missing out the public school factor, though, aren't you? Public school blokes are much, much more comfortable with other men. They just regard women as another species that's just nothing to do with them, entirely unrelated, not part of the human race. So he'd actually uh, feel more at home, I think, with Adam and Ian than he would with uh, a group of women. Now, you see, that's the difference between you and I, because you're akin with this kind of public school world, you know. Am I No, I'm not. I went to a comp, and I don't know these I went to a comp. Yeah, I did go to a comp. I did. I went to Borsitcher Primary. No. (laughs) 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 There isn't a Borsitcher Primary. (laughs) What I want to know is what the hell they've done with Horrible Henry. I think he's tied up in the cellar, or he's run away with Rory the child who'll never be able to spell his own name. Do you know, there are kids in Sudanese orphanages who donate money through Comic Relief for the children of Ambridge, I've decided. <laughs> um, business news now. We need the bongy business news music. Poor old Brian. 
Justin, the head of Damara Capital, who sounded quite sexy and masterful until he said moving forward, thus rendering him a burke for all eternity, said that Brian had failed to follow through. He won't have any problems following through when he has to tell Jennifer she isn't getting her kitchen. Um, and this was a great episode. I love this. Cutting between the disposal of the squirrel and the trap by William Grundy oh, with yeah. Quiss. It was all Quentin Tarantino-esque, it was. wasn't it? It was great. And Brian's disposal from the BL board. At one point, though, William explained to Chris that squirrels take young birds, which I thought maybe pushed the Brian metaphor a bit too far. And that's it. Brian's out. Quiss is on the quoss. And Jill's back at Brookfield. What a week. Everybody, jump, jump. <laughs> Now we're going to go over to your calls. Hello, Ambridge3962. It's Miss Alliance here. I haven't phoned in for a long, long time for, well, it's none of your business. Why, really? None of your damn business. But I feel moved, moved, I say, to phone in today. I have several things that I wish to talk about. The first thing is Fallon. I mean, what's going on with Jolene? Why on earth is she pimping her daughter off to PC carpet burns? And frankly, that character would be more believable if he were, say, solving some crimes rather than lurking around every shadow to pounce on Fallon, who's just become a giggly little schoolgirl. I mean, honestly, so unbelievable. Well, after being shaken to our collective cause last week, things settled down a little. Brian Aldridge has hurt his... We needed that, didn't we? (laughs) We did. I'm not sure I could go. (laughs) (laughs) You just needed sort of um, audio honey and lemon, really, to just stare at a wall for a bit. A good cup cup of green tea. (laughs) Green leaf tea. (laughs) Brian Aldridge has hurt his leg. Jenny Darling showed a huge lack of sympathy for Brian as he stumped around like Douglas Bader with his foot in a fondue set, moaning that he was in pain and hungry. All you'll think about is your stomach, Brian, she said. Brian's attention used to be focused solely on an area about six inches below that, which caused much greater problems, one of which is currently disporting himself at prep school where he's making great progress at learning <laughs> how to spell his own name. Tom embarked on a new diet regime. Eat pizza, don't leave the house and don't wash up for a week and everyone says you've lost weight. I've been doing that for bloody years and it's not worked. Anyway, after a brief suicide scare, Tom's gone off to God knows where to find himself, hopefully exchange email addresses and come back as someone interesting. He's sitting on a beach in Koh Samoy building mini pig arcs in the sand and holding forth about chipolatas. Of course, he might come back as a blonde pre-op transsexual called Elaine. Who knows? (laughs) Charlie Barber Spreadsheet had a contretemps outside the shop with Pat and asked her if she was coming or going. Pat never seems to know entirely whether she's coming or going, but was very happy to be outraged. He's a nasty bit of work, that bloke, he's not. He? He's not nice. He's really uh, unpleasant. Hmm. 
Charlie and Adam seem to have entirely dispensed with the niceties of boss and employee, which is odd, bearing in mind that they've only known each other for a fortnight. And they snarl and snap at each other like a couple of beaten sheepdogs every time they meet. Roll on harvest when they have an argument about grain storage and end up wrestling naked in front of a fire. (laughs) And Adam's supposed to be the diplomatic one as well, and he's just lost it with him in super fast time. But anyway, go crack on, Lucy, crack on. Uh, then the great takedown. It wasn't the rumble in the jungle or the thriller in Manila. It was the strop in the shop <laughs> when Jenny Darling offered Susan her old units, which had a lot of life in them, which suggests woodworm. Shula took Danakin on one of her exciting days out and he got to stand by an ironing board in Underwoods. Oh, it's like Cirque du Soleil, said Danakin, revealing himself to be the kind of cosmopolitan boulevardier that is surely officer material. Shula's disconcerting attempts to seduce her own son continued apace when she took glamour shots of him in the changing room in a suit. Jenny Darling's anxiety klaxon went off straight away, so she leapt in the private jet and arrived in the changing room just in time to remind Shula that she was a widow and that Danakin Skywalker could be killed at any minute. Um, the Carter women were asked to come up with an idea for Clary Love's party. Eddie was concerned that it might not beat last year's, as last year's involved three tonnes of sand being dumped in the front garden. Joe in a bikini and Kira dressed as a hermit crab. The bar wasn't set massively high. <laughs> so they've settled for a 70s theme with Peggy in a ginormous afro. Ambridge has got talent round two. Wait a minute, I obviously missed that show. When did Peggy <laughs> say she's going to wear a ginormous, Look, an afro Peggy. ginormous or not? This is what's in my head. It has bears little resemblance to what's actually happened. Ambridge's Got Talent round two continued with Susan's rendition of Donny Osmond's Puppy Love. It was spirited and certainly slightly more relevant than Kenton's Rocket Man. Next week, Tony gives us his songs from the Ziegfeld Follies. And we have a cause on our hands. They're bypassing the bypass. The band the bypass bypass campaign will be taken up by Linda and Fallon, who will bore us rigid for months making posters. Fallon might even distress another table if we're lucky. In an occasional series entitled Words You Never Want to Hear, this week we had... Tom will be all right. He's got Roy keeping an eye on him. Half an hour later, Tom had entirely disappeared. This was followed by the massively ill-advised, Can you talk to him, Tony? Tony went straight for the jugular once again, as full of righteous anger as only a man who's only had soup to eat for the past 15 years can be, spoke to Tom to cheer him up in the way that you cheer someone up with a mouth ulcer by stamping on their foot. (laughs) Tony seems to be permanently on the point of cardiac arrest. He's breathing heavily, quivery voice. If he is, then his mission seems to be to make everyone in the village want to kill him before his own arteries finish him off. The rest of the village loons carried on as normal. Psychotic Georgie attempted to garrote Abby with a maypole, and Gollum Titchinob tried to persuade Helen that she was better off without Krusty. I'd never leave you standing at the altar, my precious, he hissed. Locked up in a fridge freezer, yes. Horrid Henry has started at nursery. A nursery that seems to have spontaneously popped up overnight. As nurseries tend to do, they're like circuses. I sometimes feel I wouldn't be surprised at all if someone on the arch just suddenly said, oh, I must pop down to the hydroelectric power plant. Anyway, (laughs) he's done a week in the Borsetshire Academy for the criminally insane under threes and he hasn't murdered anyone, burnt it down or given anyone ringworm, but I think he's biding his time. Foghorn is installed back at Brooker's where she spent the week practising for the bake-off. calling my chill a foghorn. <laughs> Have you not noticed the hooting? The continual hooting. Oh, I love <laughs> <Jill>. <laughs> The woman cooks in her sleep 
and considers any moment <laughs> ill spent that doesn't involve forcing our Viennese whirls into people's faces. So God alone knows what she's practising. So that was the week in Ambridge. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must get back to Tom Archer's weight loss and exercise DVD. Jilt them and jog on. I need to practice the bit where you eat raw sausages and cry while repeat texting your fiance as she sits in a bungalow in Costa Rica with a ladyboy called Rachel in a purple wedding dress. The end. I like that, I did. This episode of Dum Dee Dum is sponsored by Easy Fry Oven Chips for those days when cows are more important. Oh no, I left the oven on. Hello, Average3962. Hi everyone, so this is the Tanya Best calling in from Brooklyn, New York. I'm going to miss Kirsty. Her voice was incredibly throaty, this is true. And she was kind of weirdly just environmental whenever it was useful to the plot, which was weird. But uh, she was great for keeping the titchy knob skepticism alive. And I always felt like she was kind of the voice of reason, which I know isn't saying much when it comes to the, the Archer clan, or at least this particular branch. But I really loved that she just like did not acknowledge Tom's need to be heard, even in letter form. And of course, I am completely relieved that there will be no chats with Warbly Pat at all. So I will I will miss Kirsty very much, but cleansing fires for everyone. But before we do that, I want my, I'm gonna say brother from another mother, but you're not my brother, so. <laughs> I don't think you should go down this route at all, to be honest. Give us your week in Ambridge then. <laughs> all right then. We opened the week with poor harassed Adam Macy. He just wants some me time in the tractor cab all by himself, eating the lemongrass and coriander macaroons in his packed lunch, staring out the window, picking his nose and thinking about Pavel. And first he has David shouting, I want to go, I want to go, my turn on the big tractor. <laughs> and then Charlie Barber's spreadsheet saying, what does this lever do? And I'm really good at cricket, you know, but I'm not going to play for your silly team. Mm. Charlie Barber's spreadsheet then went on to commit the ultimate Ambridge sin of not being interested in the Wingle Sicket, which is treated by Ambridge residents <laughs> as like a cross between the Olympic opening ceremony and the Mardi Gras. So that's him off everybody's Christmas card list. And Krusty's back, hurrah, a nation rejoices, but it isn't soppy. This is going to be the best day of my life. Krusty. This was Kickass Krusty, who offered Helen the coldest shoulder since Ranulf Fines fell in an ice hole. For Helen, denial's not just a river in Egypt, and she has her own idiosyncratic way of dealing with problems, namely by putting her hands over her ears and shouting la 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 la. She was startled to discover that unbelievably, Krusty, with her now cosmic mistrust of the entire Archer family and the whole of Ambridge, did not want to return to her job in the shop making raffia leeks and building scale models of Felpersham Cathedral out of organic couscous. She's You're stupid, my best. Helen, isn't she? <laughs> I've never known anyone more lacking in empathy. It's unbelievable. You're my best friend, yelled Helen hysterically. Best meaning only and friend meaning person under 65 who talks to me. Morose the Butcher is back, making sausages for Tom. Morose appears to be played by Ringo Starr. He stepped <laughs> a butchery breachery and said he was happy to sacrifice an evening of deflader mouse for der packing auf dem Knackwurst. And then Larry Love's birthday. 
Eddie tried to get Clary Love drunk at her dinner in an effort to lift the leaden gloom which seems to have encased her. She said she never expected to find herself up to her elbows in yoghurt and pork scratchings. But who amongst us cannot say the same? Um, she you should have up. done that in your Pamir's accent. But, but, but she's not Pamir's though, is she? Everyone does her as a Pamir's accent. Do you want me to do it again in a Pamir's yeah, accent? Yeah, please, go on. Okay. Uh, I'll do the whole thing. And then Clary Love's birthday. Eddie tried to get Clary Love drunk at her dinner in an effort to lift the leaden gloom which seems to have encased her. She said, I never expected to find myself up to my elbows in yoghurt and pork scratchings. But who amongst us cannot say the same, Clary? <laughs> but she perked up for her fancy dress festivities. A nation was startled to hear one scene starting with the words, keep licking your belly while I do your nails. And for one horrible minute, I thought that was Clary Love's pre-party preparation, but it was actually Eddie grooming Adele the ferret, named after the singer. <laughs> she kept making funny squeaking noises, and so did the ferret. Bravely, the Grundies allowed Kira to hold Poppy in the Grundy family photo, a vet ferret, which was indeed a risky move in a family that contains that much simmering hatred. At the party, Joe went as Clint Eastwood, Susan went as Shaft, and Derek went as Operation Yew Tree. <laughs> After pausing only to admire Sabrina Thwaite in her suede hot pants, piled curried eggs and tuna salad with an E. coli dressing onto his plate in such a positive, gluttonous frenzy by the end of the party, it wasn't just Joe who had a whiff of the Wild West about him. <laughs> Jill found something nasty in the greenhouse. It was a baby hedgehog. Pat had squished its mother while careering through the village with a van packed to the gunnels with everything except finger carrots, as Helen crossly pointed out. And more incompetence came from Raff and Ulrich, who have messed up in the mega dairy. Raff and Ulrich. Are they not the pair on the posters for the European elections? When are we going back to sensible <laughs> names like we used to have in the old days, like Baggy and Snatch and Sammy Whipple and oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Ah, uh, more silly nomenclature with Roy's startling announcement that Shelley Brazil is curating the food area at Loxfest. I have no idea what that sentence meant, but Roy sounded very chuffed, as chuffed as only an eternally optimistic cretin with an appalling record in event management can. Shelley Brazil is clearly the stage name for a burlesque dancer rather than a chef. Wait a minute, so I... wasn't she the woman who was on in Portraits Alive? Wasn't Yes, she? yeah, yeah. No, oh, okay, she's... all right, okay. I've only just realised. Oh, okay, sorry. But the name Shelley Brazil, does that not suggest kind of an entirely different sort of pasty? <laughs> and, you know, thongs and, you know, just a thong at twilight. And then we had a moment of such sheer audacious bravado that I nearly stood up and applauded. Ooh. We spent a good three minutes listening to a couple picking a shade of white on a paint chart on the radio. We went well, through... I, I don't know if they, they, they were picking it. It was more just Jenny's kind of outpouring and yeah. Brian just was just there as collateral damage. Really. Just going, uh, every now and again. <laughs> we went through Farage white, 70s calcified dog poo white, <laughs> and a big dress white until Brian completely lost it and smashed Jenny's head into the butler's sink, but I may have nodded off and made that bit up. <laughs> uh, Pat and Tony, the wandering embolism, are gradually imploding as they realise the idiot boy has been buying non-organic pig feed made out of turkey twizzlers and rocket lollies. What a they scandal. <laughs> they threw, they threw themselves on the mercy of the organic inspector who threw it right back at them. And Gollum Titchinob did his usual look in the eyes, look in the eyes, not around the eyes, with Helen, and convinced her that actually it was all a good thing and Helen was not to worry. So that's all right then. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, that total scandal about the, the organic 
status, isn't it? I, I, I didn't see that one coming. Well, it's almost as if, because I, I can remember a while ago, Tom sort of having this fairly dubious conversation with Krusty about, oh, well, I might, it wouldn't be such a bad thing if I gave up the organic status. And she sort of said, oh, well, yeah, of course it would. And he went, hmm. And it was all a bit non-committal. And I think he kind of made that decision and just didn't tell anybody. But on that poignant note, I think you'd hit those phone lines. OK. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Jan from Cannes calling. Um, it was so awesome to hear that Royfield is going to be in Toronto. I gather uh, this coming weekend, maybe for even longer. Um, and Royfield, you were right. Um, I am a fair distance away, so it might be a bit difficult for me to get to you. Um, it's 4,300 kilometers from where I live in Vancouver on the West Coast. And Toronto is... A slightly east of the center of the country. Uh, but you were right, Royfield. Um, Alberta is one province away, and I was born and raised there. Anyway, uh, I would love to meet you sometime. And the only other way I can fig- think that we might meet is if you wanted to fly from Toronto and have a stopover in Vancouver on your way to San Francisco. Well, a person can fantasize anyway. I love the show today. It was super good, super fun, awesome. And uh, I wish you a safe and happy journey. And if I don't call in again before Christmas, Merry Christmas and the very best to both of you. First, before we do all that, my little box of Turkish delight. Lucy, tell us about the last week in Ambridge. Shula suddenly remembered she was a farmer's daughter and went to Brookfield and was useful with sheep. All I have to do is stand still and wave my arms, she said helpfully. As she's made an entire career out of standing still and waving her arms, she was a natural at it. Idiot boy has officially legged it, packing his favourite pig in his hand luggage. But why not talk it through with his family first? Asked Piggy tearfully. And why so far away? I think the fact that his entire family is completely crackers answers both those questions. Poor abandoned piggies. They're not organic anymore. No one wants them. They can join forces with Lonely Cow and run off and join the circus. (laughs) Linda's astonishing birthday party idea was, wait for it... Alice in Wonderland. Of course it was. How old is Linda, for God's sake? Six? She compounded the infantile theme by saying she had to bring the book to the shop because she couldn't bear to leave it behind. I often take my books out for a walk. That's senile dementia, isn't it? If I get to Linda's age and someone is giving me an Alice in Wonderland party rather than a lavish dinner with champagne and Rufus Sewell in the nip, I'm booking myself into Dignitas. I didn't even know her birthday was even coming up. No, it was one of those... I think they suddenly plonked it in as a bit of light relief, but I thought it was one of the most cringy, twee, middle-class, badly written... And it doesn't help that Leonie Snell sounds like... Like um, that woman off Tickabilla. She can't, it's, it's just like listening to see Beavis. It's just off. And when she said, Shall we see if the Dormouse is here? Let's ask Alice. I thought, My God, we're going through the round window. It was just awful. Anyway. Well, if it was really twee in middle class, that would have been right up your street, surely. I am not twee. Um, Don't mind the middle. Oh, I'm not. You are really. Um, <laughs> you're so horrible to me. Can I carry on now? Yeah, go on. You finished insulting me. Thank you. 
less of an insult, more of an accurate portrayal of your, your character and your social position. Oh. Titchy Knob continues his campaign to be the son Peggy actually does have but doesn't like. He fessed up to having got Idiot Boy the job in Canada. But were Helen and Peggy cross? Bit miffed? Oh, Rob, said Helen, that's so kind. There are no lengths Helen will not go to to put Rob in a good light. If he'd announced he'd chopped Tom's leg off, she'd have said, oh, Rob, that's so thoughtful. I have so much more room on the plane. <laughs> the walking embolism reacted in a calm, reasonable way we have come to respect from Moni Tony. He made a massive fuss about a family meeting, then marched around telling everyone they couldn't come to it. So it ended up being three people, all of whom worked together. Elizabeth talked to To be to fair, Rob. he told only one person, his mother. He told Helen to tell <laughs> Rob that Rob couldn't come. Tony only told one person. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's starting to remind me of the bloke off uh, Dad's Army now. Don't panic! Don't panic! Well, just oh, the bloke goes done. rushing around. Yeah, just completely overreacting about everything. And saying, don't don't panic and making things ever so much worse all the time. Elizabeth talked to Roy about her fear of camping. I'm worried about creepy things in my sleeping bag, she said, one of which may be Roy if she's really unlucky. I've thought ever since Roy started working at Lower Loxley mm, that bit of an uh, undercurrent yeah exactly mm, exactly and I yeah. just thought oh this is so predictable yeah. but, they, they but where's can't. Ifty gone Ifty you know Ifty was training the cricket club he was he was he was at Lower Loxley all the time you know he was he was coaching you know um, what's happened to Ifty what same thing that happened to Daryl's missus UKIP got in in Borsetshire didn't they and they've had the immigrants <laughs> out that's what's happened to them bear I've just choked on a bit of toast now. I'll tell you where Usha is. Usha is on every single Radio 4 afternoon play. That's where Usha is. Really? Honestly, yeah. She's got a very nice sideline going in Radio 4 afternoon plays. It all got a bit what? tribal as, at the as, meeting as about... An as, as an Asian yes. lawyer from Wolverhampton. Yes, uh, no, as as normally the mother of a, of a girl who's about to have an arranged marriage because that's apparently all that happens to Indian families on Radio 4 is that the girls have arranged marriages. <sighs> yes, what? Mm, I didn't say anything. Mm. No, okay. <laughs> it all got it's a bit tribal. <laughs> it's your monologue. I wouldn't interrupt your monologue, would I? You've interrupted it continually all the way bloody through. It all got a bit tribal at the meeting about the bypass bypass. The Ambridge crew were very jolly when they thought the road was heading straight through Penny Hassett, but things got a bit shouty <laughs> when it emerged the road was going straight through Ruth and David's bedroom. Not in They're my backyard. They're up in arms. <laughs> <laughs> They're up in arms. Farm, <laughs> in arms, said Shula excitedly. The villagers are always up in bloody arms whether the village shops run out of hobnobs or someone's been blackballed from the cider club. And the press is here, said Ruth excitedly. That bloke from the Echo. It's hardly the Beyonce <laughs> press pack, is it? <laughs> Even Brian with the nuts was vaguely concerned and he normally reserves his compassion for his own sciatica and his lack of sandwiches. Jenny Darling shot off to Brookfield anxiety klaxon ringing to go and help by updating the website. That website gets updated more often than a dope Photoshop. More trouble at Brookers as the sheep have got nits which they caught from the wet Cotswolds that had to be wrung out and dried on the Brookfield radiator. Charlie Barber's spreadsheet ingratiated himself with William, who, like all Ambridge employees, flatly refused to do what he was asked, despite the fact that Charlie is his boss.
boss. Employees in Ambridge have a certain militant tendency. Adam chucks his toys if he's asked to mow all of the field rather than some of it, but that's probably because he spends most of his time peeing in a hedge because of the 40 cups of coffee he's drunk. No, Back at the kitchen. but there's, a, there's this undercurrent of the fact that the farmers in Ambridge aren't just farming, they're also custodians and actually conserving the land. So you got William saying, I've only got a certain amount... I'm not going to do the accent. I've only got a certain... I've only got a certain amount of partridges <laughs> in my pear trees and I can't shoot all of them, you know, because then I'll have to grow some more. You know, and, and that's what I got from that. So, you know, I, there's me being a city you're, boy talking about what, growing partridges in pear trees. Part, yes. Exactly. But you, but you like, get my point that you know, there is William, William, <laughs> who's you know he's he's conserving, you know he's he's a proper gamekeeper. It's not about shooting the bloody pheasants all the time, is it? You need some little pheasants. You go on about rural unemployment, and all of them just just moan continually when they're asked to do their jobs. It's unbelievable. Well, do you know when just you. A, terrible capitalist and, and I believe that you know we need to be custodians of the planet so we've actually got something to give to our children that's the reason why you and I can't really actually get on Lucy we're diametrically opposed well we are diametrically opposed bearing in mind that to coin a Hancock line you think that the countryside is just a big load of space with no towns in it <laughs> <laughs> if you think that partridges grow you planted partridges and none grew <laughs> oh. That's his partridge subsidy yeah. gone for a... Uh, yeah, all right. You back at the kitchen. Yes. What? Back at the kitchen, the two Steves put the wrong sink in. A washer failed and the kitchen flooded. How can a washer fail? It's a little metal ring, not a thruster on a rocket launcher. Anyway, Buddy did the noble thing and threw himself off the roof. Piper <laughs> <laughs> and Puska are back. In the noble Ambrose tradition. So, yeah, if in doubt, chuck yourself off a roof. Tiger and Puscat are back in fine form, serving for catcher with a tagine, chucking the gin about, describing the bypass bypass as a mini gold rush. It's a jeweled carriageway, not the Klondike. And then, Battle of the Grands. Linda wove a blanket for baby Snellamy out of llama's eyelashes gathered in the moonlight. Lillian hurriedly claimed to have made something for the baby too. Probably a jug of sangria and a roll-up. <laughs> and finally, the most ungracious announcement of an engagement ever. You know that bloke you hate, Dad? Well, I'm going to be married to him, so no, 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 no. She announced it in the manner of someone informing their family that as she had predicted, the cesspit has overflowed. Which in this case, <laughs> I never think it has. She's not very intelligent, that Helen, is she? Idiot. And I'm honest, I don't think she should be allowed out without a responsible adult. She's just, she certainly shouldn't be in charge of a child. She won't be in charge of a child for much longer because Rob will get his mitts on him. Mm. Oh, yes. Um, with that poignant thought, poignant pregnant <laughs> thought, let's... Say pregnant. I don't think I can cope with her being pregnant as well. It's metaphorically pregnant, not literally right. and actually pregnant. Oh. I'm just trying to be poetic with the English language. Oh, sorry. Unlike you, Let the monologue, with you. your brutalist monologues. Which... <laughs> 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 I think you're onto something when you mentioned about coded messages in the archers used by MI6 to inform overseas agents when it's time to get the poison umbrellas out. Over the years I've noticed such a message used every few weeks and with good timing this week it was trotted out once again. This time, Fallon delivered the line while taking PC harassment Burns' order for pizza at the Bull. 
The script writers have slipped up though, as the code is easy to break, as it is so obviously never used in everyday speech, apart from in Ambridge. Instead of yes, fine, okay, will do, or similar, the positive agreer chimes out with, right you are. Now, I admit I don't come from Borsetshire, but I have been known to stray north of the M25, but never have I heard a, right you are, apart from coming from the mouths of the free citizens of Ambridge. I made the beginner's mistake of mentioning to my wife, the lovely Jane, a few weeks ago that I find right you are so clunky and grating every time it's rolled out, with the obvious outcome that now if on the rare occasion I say something that she agrees with, I get a right you are in reply. I initially thought it was more a phrase used by those who get their fingernails dirty toiling on the land, such as Eddie but it seems to have crossed over to the moneyed classes and I've heard Matt and even Brian uh, say the phrase. It must surely be a little game by the scriptwriters to see who can lever it in that week. But it has the effect of leaving me a gibbering wreck with some sort of Pavlovian response every time I hear it. Right, I think it's time for my lie down now. Loving the podcast and please keep up the good work. Jenny Darling decided the best thing that could be done to cheer her mother up after the death of her husband and her cat was to bring her back to home farm to stare at some granite. Peggy got the wrong end of the stick, thought Jenny Darling was showing her her prototype headstone and went to an even greater decline. Peggy did manage to complete the Franken knitting for the Snellamy baby and handed it to Lillian saying, Will it fit the bill? No, love. Bill's the cat. Do you remember? The cat. Yes, not the dead one, the other one. Lillian, who, if we recall, lied to Matt for an entire year about shagging his brother, seems to be completely unable to lie convincingly about this flipping baby duffel coat or whatever it is. She is doing a frankly appalling job of talking about this knitting and completely bodged an answer about how she'd done the pockets. Pockets? What does a baby need pockets for? Oyster card and a lighter? (laughs) Roy was hoping that Elizabeth the Merry Widow might let him back under her love canvas, but no, this time the flaps remained firmly padlocked. In an effort to change the subject, Elizabeth talked about Freddie instead, saying, he's on his computer all the time and I don't know what he's doing. Anyway, I must go now as I need to go and bash Freddie's boxes with a rolling pin to get them in the machine. Roy was despondent at this rejection, but rallied enough to go home and enjoy Haley's fish pie, which had been left simmering on the back burner just in case so to speak the mission to palm fallen off on any male under 50 with a pulse increased with a two-pronged attack from adenoids and jeline both going on at her adenoidal alice the astrophysicist wedding planner has moved into dating advice she was at her most infuriating jollying Fallon along who was perfectly happy flopping about in her onesie Alice is the sort of can irritating I, can, yeah, can I just yeah, jump yes. in because everybody knows I have a somewhat of a close interest when it comes to Fallon I didn't like any of that at all this week number one what's she doing in a onesie the type of woman that yeah. I picture her and, yeah. and you know I need her to be she does not sit around in a onesie number one number two it it didn't even sound believable the way that whole thing was written no I know 
I know. And it, it, to uh, me, she's supposed to be this, you know, slightly yeah. sassy, yeah. a little bit kind of cool uh, character. And she just sounded totally socially inept. Like a mother had to tell her what dating was all about. Yeah. I know, it was ludicrous, and it's cringy. And Fallon is kind of, I mean, we've already got Helen, surely, representing the the the, 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 the sort of the, the completely inadequate, burkish, damaged uh, approach to sort of um, uh, dating and and and, uh, and 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 sex and everything, and 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 Fallon's supposed to be the sort of the feminist and the strong woman, and all this. And she's just behaving like an absolute burke. Exactly, and as I say, the the vision of her in a onesie is almost completely put her off me. Put her off <laughs> me, off her. Sorry, her off me. Oh, the level oh, of God, patriotism oh, it's just... that. Oh, it's no, I've said that. You know what I meant. <laughs> it's not what I said, but everybody knows what I meant. But I was just like, no. I know. I know. It was it was really depressing because she's such a lovely character. And, then, mm. you know, and who would ask Alice? I wouldn't I wouldn't trust Alice to, to get me to the bottom of the stairs. You know, it's just, just oh, God. <laughs> Hopeless. Anyway, yes. sorry, sorry for interrupting. Something I right. never normally do, but I just felt <laughs> like I just had to, just like chiming at that point. <laughs> Alice is the sort of irritating Burke who tells you not to be a party pooper when you won't dance the conga in the snow at 3 a.m. As a result, PC harassment Burns and Fallon had their first date, which was not awkward at all. I hope Jeline and Adenoids both feel happy when Fallon's shacked up with a gun-toting officious sexist who's slowly morphing into Peter Kay. Once again, we had a classic Archer's. I told you burning that effigy was a bad idea. It's not often that burning an effigy is a good idea, really. This was David's fault, who's gone a bit wicker man. In fact, the whole village turned into Royston Vasey for the evening, making a guy of Justin Elliott with a mop head and a tweed jacket at the top of the bonfire. (laughs) This happened on the same evening that Tony became convinced that the new pigs were possessed, just to add to his paranoid fantasies. He asked Jazza if he'd work a few more hours, but Jazza refused, concerned that it would impinge on his social life. I thought the pigs were Jazza's social life, but apparently not. Ruth, too, seems to be going over to the dark side. Charlie Barber's spreadsheet had mentioned the compensation and this had struck a chord with Ruth, who realised that with some hard cash, she might be able to feed her children something other than turkey feet and chips. Next week, (laughs) we fully expect her to have flogged off Lakey Hill and be negotiating building a paddy power on it. And it's getting weirder at the stables, with the horses getting the strangles. This is a contagious disease caught by going out for lunch with Charles Saatchi. Charlie Barber's spreadsheet got his hands on Jill's honeypot. Which was an unlikely development, to say the least. Is that where we're going next week? An unlikely affair between Jill and the Man of Tweed? We've been in the tent of love. Nothing would surprise us now. Oh, I like that. That was quite, that was quite sweet. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to see happen to uh, Kate and Lucas? Obviously, probably move back to Ambridge so that you'd have a lot more work, but... I would love I would love um, 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 Kate and Lucas to be back in back in Ambridge but um, I think there's a lot there's a lot about Kate and Lucas that hasn't been explored I mean you know uh, well for a start off you know how the hell can you put up with her that has not been explored <laughs> or are we going on to one of our listener tweets there Lucy many of our listeners okay, tweets so involve the phrase how the hell do you put up with her but anyway yeah it's um I think you need to answer this as Lucas. 
Ah, ah. Lucas is too nice. That's no good because Lucas would just say, "Oh, she's lovely. She's understood. She's da 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 da." Yeah, the thing is that Kate is uh, she's challenging. There's no, there's no denying that. But uh, you know, deep down, deep, deep, deep down, very deep, down, <laughs> inside somewhere. <laughs> you know, she's she's a nice person, really, at heart. I think, and it just needs. She just well, needs after to. How be... many years of marriage you you think she's a nice person deep down, deep deep down? I'm <laughs> I'm still the one who can change her. <laughs> oh. But first, before all that. You, who will never be in the diplomatic courts, Freeman, <laughs> please do tell us about the last week in Ambridge. We started the week with a death. Poor old Ben, Piggy's ancient cat, shuffled off his mortal coil. I was genuinely sad and I can't make jokes about it. I am English. I can listen to a father of two fall off a roof without a qualm or a safety net. But a 13-year-old cat gets put down and I'm in bits. You could hear... What? No, no. Now, I know we got an email from somebody saying, Roy Phil, can you please stop interviewing Lucy's lustrous monologues? Yes, that was me. However, (laughs) however... Was that you? No, of course it wasn't me, you banana. Yeah. But how mean were you last week about poor Peggy talking to the cats? And I said, this woman is 92, she has nobody to communicate with, etc, etc. And then look what happens this week. And no, the she cat's is dead. Destroyed. I killed the cat, basically. That's what you're saying, isn't it? You got absolutely no empathy. And then this week you turn around <laughs> and say, oh, I'm English, I, I, I can relate. You couldn't relate last <laughs> week, could you? You couldn't relate no. to a 92-year-old woman who was lonely, who was fumbling in the checkout aisle, who only had a cat to talk to, who feels like a family's falling apart. But all of a sudden, because her mog is dead, you can show some kind of compassion. Go on with your monologue. Yeah. <laughs> Look, can I just say that last week monologue. was one of weeks I should have just wrapped myself monologue. up in a duvet, locked the door and not monologue. spoke to anybody because I only ever My opened point my mouth. has been made <laughs> monologue. <sighs> anyway, you could hear Bill purring his selfish head off, delighted that he'd got the woolly lap and millions to himself, <laughs> as well as more airtime. That cat's got a hell of an agent, I'm telling you. Adam said he had Charlie sitting on his shoulder and Brian had his home farm hat on. What kind of a lunatic emperor enterprise are they running? No wonder Charlie's worried about the fact that his farm's being remote controlled from Hungary. Damara Capital's latest wheeze is two more anaerobic digesters for the village. At this rate, Ambridge is just going to be a massive pile of poo with a road going through it. And talking of a massive pile of poo, we celebrated two birthdays, Ruth and Fallon. Only Ruth could greet her family, a cooked breakfast, a lion, and presents with the words, I was just thinking about my cancer diagnosis. (laughs) And Fallon got given jewellery by PC Harassment Carpet Burns. He said he'd noticed she liked chunky bracelets. He didn't mention the fact that there were two of them. They were linked together by a small chain and he had the key. Once again, the archers seemed to be having a slight crisis about which decade or even century it was set in. One of the producers had clearly found a Sounds of the 90s CD behind a filing cabinet and we had Pulp on the way to the festival, Blur playing on the way to the Borchester show and then Charlie Barber spreadsheet apparently wearing well-cut tweeds. Who is he, Gussie Fink Nottle? Buddy the Builder. Ooh. Gussie that, Fink Nottle from P.G. Woodhouse. Oh, oh another one of, your, one of mm. your literary kind of, um, you know, notes there that is lost on the rest of us. Sorry. <laughs> 
It's lost on you. Um, Buddy the Builder, who is fast becoming one of my favourite characters, took plumber's painkillers, which I presume is street slang, and spangled his way through <laughs> the hanging of the shelves in the home farm kitchen. Brian still cannot remember the way to the bull, despite spending most of his life in there before the kitchen started being rebuilt, and became so hungry he was reduced to licking melted chocolate from the bottom of Matt's golf bag. Shula went up to Sandhurst, never one to miss an opportunity to ogle her son in his uniform. Noddy introduced her to Big Ears and showed her pictures of himself being shot at. Tony put on a funny voice to pretend to be the steward at the shearing show when Jazza beat Ed. The bet for the winner was buying a burger dinner. Jazza said he was looking forward to tasting the bun of success, but I think Roy may have beaten him to it there. Which leads us on with the grim inevitability of Greek tragedy, as Jeeves would say, to the festival. Elizabeth said she wanted to pack for every eventuality, but she kept quiet about the fruit pastel condoms and the KY. Going on to say that she wasn't good if she didn't get a good seven hours. Hmm, this is Roy we're talking about. Uh, Roy took Haley's injunction to make sure Elizabeth had a good time slightly too far. Slipped her one of Buddy's plumber's painkillers and she opened her tent flaps with a... <laughs> Said that. I just did. She then woke up and started vomiting, which is exactly as one would expect after a night out with Roy of the Racists. He trotted out all the usual codswallop about it, feeling like the right thing to do, and then she said, it's not you, it's me, and let's just forget about it, and by the way, I'm your boss, and everything will go back to normal, which means we're all going to have to stand by for stock cupboard shenanigans and oral in the orangery. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Are you done? I've finished. Bloody Nora, that is X-rated this week. <laughs> well, so was the show. Goodness sake, all that heavy breathing. Well, no, that, that left a certain amount to our imagination, but you <laughs> put it, you had it on the knuckle there, woman. Well, Ooh. I'm in that kind of mood, what can I say? Wowza. <laughs> right then. Hmm. Um, on, on, on that kind of um, um, filthy end uh, to uh, a, a rather tight monologue this week, because Lucy's been doing a, a, pelvic, a pelvic floor muscles exercises, um, let's go through to your calls. Hi, my name's Sharon, and I've been listening to The Archers for about 30 years. I first started listening when I was about 13. I kind of find a radio station that would pay something else than Spandau Ballet. I came across this talk radio, which we didn't really have in our house. It, it struck me that it was like uh, TV without pictures. And it was good enough that I made a note of where it was and went back the following week. And although it really didn't have anything in common with my day-to-day life, basically in Acton, in West London. I have to say I was probably the only kid that knew it was lambing season. Well, I've still been listening. I've been listening for 30 years, and it's as good as it ever was, despite all the rumours and suspicions of its demise and dumbing down, it's still as good. Thanks. This I love this. This is such a beautiful Sharon Evans saying I was the only kid in Acton that knew it was lambing season. <laughs> yes. Because she listened to the archers. I thought that is such a lovely description of what the archers means to a lot of people. It's a way of keeping in touch with with, with our heritage, really. That sounds very portentous and ridiculous, but there we go. <laughs> Tony is a manager. No, he's not. Neil is a manager. Susan is beside herself with excitement. The fact that he's managing a field of possessed pigs doesn't seem to bother her. She's getting him some new management overalls, two-piece, with a pocket for biros and double cuffs, and some really, really pointy, shiny wellies. 
Jenny Darlings <laughs> back from her holes with Fagash. I really needed that, said Jenny. And she so does, to be fair. She's been really busy with, um, with the, she's been really, really busy um, doing the, the, uh, she's been re- well, she's been updating the website. Yes. And anyway, she is back <laughs> at the helm of the home farm kitchen and Brian's first home. She did dinner. write that letter to the butcher echo that would have taken a lot of energy she's updated the website twice and she's written a letter yes anyway she is back at the helm of the home farm kitchen and brian's first home cooked dinner involved a warm three bean salad that should get his pipes back in working order but i suppose (laughs) you can always blame the anaerobic digester Uh, jenny darling not content with holding various open kitchens and inviting everyone to from david cameron to stephen hawking to inspect her cornices has even taken to crashing wakes in order to get more people in it's all right. I slept with a corpse once, so of course they won't mind me getting involved, she said, winning. <laughs> Ian was looking forward to a night in and a Chinese takeaway with Adam. Ian did the ordering. You know what I like, Adam said. So that put a spring in Ian's prawn balls until Adam was hijacked <laughs> by Charlie Barber's spreadsheet and ended up showing him the new ringtones he'd put on the combine. This meant Adam spent the rest of the evening bobbling about in the hot tub like a little bean sprout, whinging about Charlie, while Ian resisted the impulse to kick him right in the dim sum. Ruth got very excited about the robot milkers. Humans are going to be redundant, said David anxiously as Ruth commented enthusiastically on how quickly and easily the robot milker found the teats. Um, Ball worshipping, Tony's new pastime, continues apace. The bull is now called Otto and he is bracing himself for a summer of rogering everything that doesn't move fast enough. Watch out, Peggy! As he has... (laughs) as he has become the symbol of Tony's waning virility. An AI gun and a sperm straw just isn't the same, said Tony comfortably. We know that, love. That's how you ended up with Henry. Uh, And talking of sperm straws, Roy persuaded Elizabeth to be interviewed for Radio Borsetshire about Luxfest. We're a team, said Roy. There's no I in team, Roy, but there are two in you massive dickhead. He was at his... (laughs) He was at his punchable best, telling the interviewer, my sister was a DJ on Radio Borsetshire. I do know how it works. The interviewer had obviously taken one look at him and decided he was exactly the type who'd try and speak into the radio rather than use a mic. An incredibly <laughs> cringy interview followed in which Roy and Elizabeth sounded like Richard and Judy's uh, less competent doubles. And if that doesn't drive people away from Loxfest, I don't know what will. Roy then followed up this bowel-shatteringly rubbish interview with another attempt to get into Lizzie's undercrackers, which he half-heartedly declined. She then offered to host John Tregoran's wake. It won't be a big affair, said Elizabeth briskly, at which point Roy kicked up right. the coffee machine. Wait a minute, have you passed on the, the kind of like the, the Roy and Lizzie thing already? Because I've got a lot to bloody interrupt you about there. Have we all... <laughs> That's why I've missed it out. Okay, wait, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. I was so angry, I nearly punched my digital radio clean <laughs> the other, through the other side of the room. One bloody fumble, and he's talking about leaving his wife and wife and two daughters. One fumble. Lizzie should have told him not only to shut the bloody hell up, she should have kneed him in the ghoulies and told him to bugger off home and given him his P45. I couldn't bloody believe it. And you know what? I've got to say 10 out of 10 scriptwriters because they've managed to make Roy Tucker interesting as a character not interesting as a human being I can't stand the man right but for the first time in this millennium Roy Tucker 
is interesting as a character, which is no small task, but I really don't like it one job. I think, I mean, when he was... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, racist Roy. Uh, that was sort of a, an, a, an interesting character development and quite well done. But this, he's just behaving like... A huge spoiled brat, isn't he? He's just really, really sulking and, you know... He is, and I think, around and I, But it's written so well. It's yeah. written so well. And um, Lizzie's reactions, because she does actually have some affection for him. Um, professional, personal, and obviously there is some kind of sexual connection, but she knows she has to, yeah. that it, it's not going anywhere. And he's just making this more kind of untenable that they're kind of working relationship and it's slowly cranking up and it's absolutely brilliant. But I've got no time for this character as a married man. One bloody fumble and he's talking yeah. about leaving his wife and, and, and his two daughters. And that to me, I'm going to sound somewhat kind of contradictory now, that to me doesn't ring true in terms of boring old Roy. But he's having some kind of midlife crisis. Yes, he's having it a absolutely. little bit early. Yeah. But, but, you know, he's having a midlife crisis. But I think it all depends what age you were when you got married, when you have your midlife crisis. I think... You know, he's been because he was. Do you remember he was talking at the stag do? He was talking about who, in between talking about Haley's hair on his face, it was a bit weird. But um, uh, you know, when he was saying, um, uh, "Oh, you won't have sex anymore, and it is all just comfortable," and you know, yes. pair of old slippers type thing. And at the time, I thought, "Hello, that doesn't sound very jolly." Uh, yeah, but it, it, the, the thing that I think has been really brilliant is is Elizabeth's panic, the panic that comes into her voice when he starts going. When he starts getting shirtier than he should ever do with his boss, she can you can hear the panic in her voice as she's trying to control. Mm. Just sort of, you know, if she could nail him down, she would just kind of shut up. Just don't do this here. I thought he nailed her down. Good. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> with his Roy Tucker gun. Bow. <laughs> I think that was probably a tent pegging. <laughs> 
That was why she's been wandering around looking all flushed. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, God, my secret may be out. <laughs> right, shall I carry on? Please do. We got that, that crack on, Lucy. Crack on. on. Trot on. Um, and now, Helen's dinner party. I've had relationships that have been shorter than the time it took for Helen to prepare for this sodding party. Her first act was clearly to smother her son, as we've not heard from him for months. <laughs> Good. Titchy Knob claimed that his horrible, scary parents were horrible and scary and weren't coming, but that is because he had not invited them. So, Tony and Pat ate crisps, which Tony thought was a form of crackly soup, as that's all he's ever eaten, and muttered together while Titchy Knob and Helen had a clenched teeth row in the kitchen. Even Titchy Knob getting his nuts out didn't help. So Pat and Tony went home, <laughs> Helen threw the lamb in the bin and started ironing her hair, and we all waited for the thing that is going to happen to happen. It must be awful to have such a dysfunctional family, said Jenny Darling, as she shepherded the son of her husband's dead mistress into church. <laughs> PC Harassment Carpet Burns, who's now remembered he's a singer, do keep up, did an audition with Jolene. I think... Curious is the term I would use to describe his singing style. It's rather like all the air rushing out of a bagpipe that someone's just poked with a fork. <laughs> if you've got it, you'll never lose it, crowed Jolene joyfully. Harassment, you never had it. Harassment and Fallon sang Islands in the Stream together and it sounded more like cat turds in the U-Bend. But love is blind and Jolene's deaf and Harassment is now a member of the Midnight Walking Frames, lowering their average age to 184 and making them slightly more sprightly than the Rolling Stones. Rock on, Ambridge. That, that wasn't bad this week. That wasn't bad. <laughs> that wasn't bad. No, 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 no. I, what I really like was the fact that you really do take uh, my pointed criticisms on board and uh, generally they get funny with each passing week. No, I think that's sarcastic. I can't tell now. When you're nice and they're nasty and they're nice again, I can't work out you're Rob Titchener. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't just a normal lasagna. This is sheets of Italian pasta and succulent English minced beef, picked up with love at the cash and carry and lovingly placed in the microwave. This is a free-to-fry at the bull lasagna. The bull sponsors Dumpty Dum. This is Dumpty Dum from Hattie Allen, age six. Dumpty 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 Dum, Dumpty Dumpty Dum Dum, Dumpty 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 Dum, Dumpty Diddly Dum, Dumpty Diddly Dumpty Diddly Dumpty Diddly Dumpty 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 Dum, Dumpty Diddly Dum. Right. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Come on, you've got to put some oomph into your voice because you sound all sleepy. Oh, do I? Yeah. That's better. (laughs) First, drum roll. Before all that, bated breath. Slow down your diction for dramatic pausing and also bring down your voice an octave. It's my partner in podcasting crime. Please do tell us about the last week in Ambridge. The Save Ambridge video has been finished. Rather than emailing it to each other, the anti-root bean nutters all trooped round to each other's houses to watch it on their computers because they can make a film but they can't send an email. David was impressed with the helmet cams. I'm really not sure that's what they were supposed to have been filming, but it'll certainly appeal to a niche audience, I suppose. (laughs) Hurrah for Linda Snell. She has found the thing that is going to stop the bypass bypass. 
It is a rare butterfly called the brown poostripe. The brown poostripe fluttered across the screen and now Penny Hassett's got tarmac written all over it. Things are getting frostier at Lower Loxley, with racist Roy continuing to tantrum like a toddler who's had the remote control confiscated. Lisbeth said that it wasn't like him as he was usually keen to be hands-on. Certainly was. Roy lost his temper with Haley for talking to Lisbeth, so Lisbeth has window lean-in as assistant manager. Hopefully Lisbeth will manage to keep out of her pants, and I'm definitely not ready to hear Elizabeth exploring that side of her sexuality. There's diarrhoea oh, and vomiting. Know. I don't know. Well, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Just do don't after- speak too soon there, Lucy. Post-Watershed edition of The Archers, just for you. There's diarrhoea and vomiting among the fruit pickers. That'll serve Adam Wright for paying them in Bridge Farm yoghurt. Nice. <laughs> a traditional English treat, strawberries, cream and a bit of botulism. That could explain the poo stripe anyway. Nice position, said Harassment Burns, and then turned out to be talking about Fallon Stall at Loxfest. What is it about this programme and people under canvas? Are they aroused by the smell of portaloos and mildewed sleeping bags? Jolene and Harrison did a frankly appalling rehearsal. It was the absolute worst. I don't know. I don't know how we're supposed to think this is good. No, because it, it, you, you, you kind of cut people a bit of slack. But then when when she says, well, yeah, well, at the end, you kind of think, but that was genuinely appalling. And if an audience heard that, like us, they'll be bottled off the stage. But, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, we'll be a real hit on stage, Jolene said. I think she meant we will really be hit on stage, Jolene, which is different. Jolene said she could feel a butt coming, which maybe explained the strangulated wailing noise. Ed Grundy found himself in the unusual position of having 20p, which he spent on a go on an old McDonald's toddler combine ride outside the middle in Felpersham. <laughs> when the money ran out, old McDonald said, Good job, farmer, which Ed sadly took as an NVQ. With his customary <laughs> professionalism and genius, he then managed to stuff up Adam's combine, sadly not with Emma's head. This led to Adam having to combine the field on Kira's trike with a flymo tied to the back. There was also a thing in Ed's pocket, which Emma made a big deal out of throwing in the bin, which presumably means it was vital. Was it the plans for Route B, George's DNA results, or possibly the page on combines from the Ladybird Book of Farming? No! It was the invitation to Jenny Darling's Look at My Knobs party, which is still going to be the social <laughs> of the decade. Neil does not fancy, understandably, an evening of admiring Jenny Darling's fittings, and Susan categorically does not want her knackered old units, which are now presumably covered in fruit picker vomit. Jenny Darling still trying to palm her sticky old drawers off on the residents of Ambridge, who are by now running away screaming for the damn things. Jenny Darling gets inspiration from Babette's Heast for her parties. I get inspiration from the young ones for mine. She's making quails and blini, which all sounds too Margot Ledbetter for words. Checkbook, Jelly. Alice used the word zeitgeisty, which means I do now have to hunt her down and kill her. In between knocking up a quick aeroplane, doing a bit of fracking and organising the odd wedding, very odd in Krusty's case, she's also learnt web design. She fitted in a good session with Fallon, apparently, and once they'd finished that, they built a website full of pictures of Fallon robbing things and stripping. I don't think there's anything like that on the internet, so I'm sure it will be jolly popular and rich. 
Yes. Who apparently now sounds like Barry White's butch older brother and only Wales can <laughs> hear him, has, in the grand tradition of all Ambridge young men, changed his name. The deed poll agency must bloody hate Ambridge and Christmas cards are a nightmare. So the man who will return to strew inheritance chaos at Bridge Farm is no longer rich or Richard. He's armed with an axe and here's Johnny. Oh, that's a clever oh. end. Sorry? That's a clever end. <laughs> Thank you. Well, he just sort of stopped, really. Well, you, should, you should have been a little bit more American about it. Like, here's Johnny. Like that. Oh, I can't do American accents. I just make myself cringe. Mm, fair enough. We are British <laughs> you after all. Instead. <laughs> Um, not all blessed with your vocal talents, Royfield. What, the fact that I can't say Borchesterites? <laughs> Borchesterites. You still can't. <laughs> no, yeah, I can't say it. Can't say it. But you have, you have conquered a transatlantic audience, though, haven't you? Have I? Yeah, well, you're very, you're very popular in Japan. No, you're very popular in the States, aren't you? I thought you were popular. Well, you're damning with faint praise, aren't you? I'm not. It's like when somebody isn't, like, big in their own country, but, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, he's very popular in... Tuvalu or something. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I thought that your podcast about America oh. was popular. Oh, what a neat set. You're a professional. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I have been on the airwaves across um, public radio stations across the United States, and I was talking to uh, President Thomas Jefferson, and I had two weeks, and I've had loads of great feedback. It's been absolutely wonderful, and... Um, I've had um, lots of... Uh, oh, I just loved it. I just loved it, loved it. And it made a change being somebody dead and was actually more lively than you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was not... You see, I just... I bigged you up and then and then, and then then you, you, you cut me down. Then. Hello, Ambridge3962. Hi, Dumpty Dumps. Goddess Diva here. Been trying to spend all day calming down so that... I wouldn't swear, because though it says foul mouth degenerate on my Twitter bio, I know not everybody likes that, so I'm trying to be calm. With a special oh my days for at Nozilla, that's just the only one you're going to get. Right, so this week, what did I like? Well, the award for the most passive-aggressive washing up ever goes to Hayley Tucker. You go, girl, you nailed it. Now wear the locket and watch his face, because you know you want to. And we certainly all want you to. The best... Put down of the week has to go to Lillian. Are you a five, James? Was just so wonderful. And also Lillian gets the award for the best put down without anybody even noticing. Was like much like an air hostess. I love Lillian. I want to be her if I grow up. Otherwise, I just want to sit in a pub with her or an old people's home. Whatever, you decide. And drink lots and lots of gin and smoke loads and loads of fags. Now, the award for the biggest f***ing scum-sucking f***ing bastard f***ing gaslighting f***ing arsehole f***ing abusive bastard goes to Rob Titchener. Season 
got very cross with Ed for not being at Ambridge View and then got cross with Ed for being at Ambridge View. Emma then got cross with Ed for not having enough work and then cross with him for having too much work. Susan only cheered up when she heard Elizabeth making a spectacular bosh of the interview with Radio Borsetshire. Then she got cross because she couldn't work out what Janine with the double J's had done to her hair to make it stand up on end, but she went off to tong it which sounds appalling and unhygienic. Oh, I just need to pull you back. Somebody said on Twitter, and it really, 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 really made me laugh. They said that interview was akin to Frost versus Nixon. Yeah. She <laughs> was taken to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. You could, you could almost see the lip trembling. You know, oh, I, know. <laughs> I can't stop this and I can't leave and I just have to carry on. <laughs> Not anyway. often you feel sorry for Elizabeth, but there we go. Wayne suggested Harrison and Jolene sang in the bath together. Wayne, some of us still can't get in the shower after being mentally scarred by Jolene and Sid getting it on over the radox. Mm. Wayne told Jolene that she used to make him cry when she sang. Don't worry, Wayne. She still makes many of us weep, weep, <laughs> sob, and drive knitting needles into our eardrums. Danakin Skywalker's taken up boxing in the army. He had a choice between polo, cricket, modern pentathlon or loom bands. Shula's horrified as she was hoping he'd go for pole dancing. He was a naughty boy and had his mm. privileges restricted, which serves him right for doing his fatigues up too tight. The army has changed him. He has now turned into the most overprepared, pious twonk that ever wore a head torch. If anyone... Can I copyright the word twonk? Yes. Register it. Yeah, I'm going to register it. it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So then you need to you need to then mention me then then don't you? Yes, uh, pious twonk copyright Royfield Brown that ever wore a head torch. If anyone deserves to have his drink spiked and a cow pat put in his bedroll, it's Daniel. Meanwhile, back at Brookfield, even Hootie Jill wants robot milkers now. Ruth, Pip, and Jill are on a secret mission to turn Brookers into a dairy staffed by robots so they can diversify the rest of it and turn it into a little. Ben <laughs> got an A in PE for his GCSEs. Bless him. I can see a career in the cabinet beckons. Fallon was baking like mad for her tea tent. She's not sure what the crowd are going to expect, she said, so she had Frida standing by with a load of tray bakes. Presumably in case the tray bakes needed to go out on the main stage to replace the Midnight Stalkers. Roy did another Only on the Archers quote. I can't a tribute I... band, the Midnight Stalkers for the Midnight Walkers. They could be, couldn't they? Yeah. That would be a, that would be a bit meta, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> having, having a tribute band to what is essentially a tribute band. <laughs> in that they're awful and people only listen to them because they kind of think they might be funny. Roy did another Only on the Archers quote. I can't hang around getting blamed for everything. The Tibetan monks are here and I need to go and welcome them. <laughs> He then got... It did make me laugh. <laughs> I once saw this uh, Buddhist priest. He was this, this, this black gentleman who was at my local temple. And he could speak, uh, he could speak all Tibetan and, and kind of Mandarin and Cantonese and all sorts. And it was quite, quite di disconcerting because he had his family in the corner who were black and from Peckham. And they, and he was there going, oh, son, can't, don't know like this. And it was just quite, quite amazing. His mum's eyes were just filled up with pride and she was just kind of crying. It was very lovely. And, he, and he'd gone off to Lhasa and yeah, it was really quite moving. And they hadn't seen him in like seven years. Wow. And it was some fire festivals a couple of years ago and I got all kind of Buddhist-like. So don't knock the Tibetan monks, please. I'm not. Good. All right. I'd be hanging out with them too. Actually, I was, I was hanging out with them too, actually, because we're at Locksmiths, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> 
I saw them earlier. I've been up for hours, mm. by the way. Yes. I've been rubbing Sabrina Thwaite together to make a fire. And she... Uh, apparently, the Tibetan monks have been up since four doing their meditating and tinging their little symboly things and dialing in bets for the Man City Liverpool match later. Ah. Uh, yeah. Were they doing a little bit of bing with their lock in their little... Yes. Okay. All yeah. that, the binging. Uh, cool. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Yes. Um, Roy, the <laughs> barely in a tent. Roy then got all of us very overexcited by going up onto the roof of Lower Loxley for barely discernible reasons. Sadly, he failed to slip off and smash his stupid head in. A nation mourns. He did, however, slip onto something sharp, not his wits, clearly. It did seem somewhat forced, that. Contrived. You know, I just like, oh, Roy's got on the roof. Yeah. Roy, you went on the roof. Oh, would you like to wear an idle shirt? What yeah. the hell? <laughs> Come on. It, it, it <laughs> Please be the father to Freddy. <laughs> While you're up there. <laughs> it all got a bit, Mr. Darcy. Elizabeth tended his wounds and dressed him in one of Nigel's old outfits. He looked mm. odd in the gorilla costume, but he was the festival <laughs> Ed managed to deliver a calf without buggering it up, which was a first for him. The actual noise of the delivery sounded like a moped driving through a puddle, and we all went, Ugh! and then we all fervently hoped that we weren't going to be in the delivery room of the Snellamy baby. And then the big announcement. The Pet Shop Boys are coming to Luxfest. This is the third celebrity appearance on the Archers in a year. Next week's Archers will feature Beyonce as Ursula Titchener and Dame Carita <laughs> Carnawa will be chairing the Parish Council meeting. I don't know what to say about this. What? Because, well, I understand. It. Well, in, I don't know. Um, you know. Number one. There's too many celebs in this now. Now I know it's all kind of quite clever, and everybody's I like a bit of a. For years, not one celebrity did I ever see, ever, ever, ever. What? Actually, Bob Marley came round to our house. You, now you are joking. No, I'm not. No, no. It's a really real. So it's 1972, and it's one of my first ever memories, and um, we had this guy living with us. Uh, called Tony Curtis and he was the reggae DJ of BBC Radio Birmingham and he had this little Triumph sports car and he said to my dad one bank holiday Glenn why don't you take your young son I was what three four at the time so it's one of my first ever memories take him to the seaside and drive my sports car my dad was like what and he said take my sports car take your son to the seaside with your wife goodbye right so my dad said okay and I remember my dad bought me a Tonka toy um, this yellow JCB Tonka toy digger. And we went off to South End on Sea. Then we came back two days later and the neighbour said, oh, there's a big party in your house. And my dad says, what are you talking about? And he says, yeah. And they had funny hair. Bear in mind, this is 1972. <laughs> and they're all Jamaican. And then he was on the telly. <laughs> and my dad said, what? And he said, yeah. And then my dad says to Tony Curtis, who the hell was in our house? And, um, and yeah, and he says, oh yeah, this group from Jamaica called Bob Marley and the Whalers. And like, they couldn't have anywhere, they didn't have anywhere to stop. So I said they could stop at yours. 
And my dad said, oh, okay then. And then, yeah, so there you go. Bob Marley and the Whalers stayed in our house. Only you could be in South End on Sea with a Tonka toy while Bob Marley <laughs> your house. And, yeah, and, and then... But the thing was about this story, I only discovered this story about 15 years ago because I remember South End and Sea and I remember the Tonka toy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I was... Megastar, all you remember is the Tonka toy. Well... The thing was, it was 1972 and he wasn't the global megastar then. That was when he started on his kind of um, career. They'd just been signed to Ireland Records, etc. then. And they were doing the first UK tour. So, and, but he went on the, on the old grey whistle test that, um, you know, that month. But I was chatting to my mum about going to South End on Sea and remembering the Tonka toy. And there was this old guy. And she that said, oh, that was when Bob Marley Yes. And I went, what do you mean Bob Marley was in our house? She went, don't you know the story? I went, mum, I'm 30. And you're just telling me that Bob Marley, I could have dined out on this. I've been waiting. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. yes, the I remember that, Oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, so yeah, um, celebrities are always like mucking around in our house. That's the moral of that story. Apologies for not sending in a caller inner piece last week, but I feared I was getting as overexposed as Carol Tregoran. Also, I came down with a jolly seasonal bug and spent the weekend moaning and groaning with the snuffles. Another reason for my decline was my world being turned upside down. Unbelievably, when talking with three people on separate occasions last week who know not of my love of the archers, they used the phrase, right you are. In my delirium, it felt as if real life was now the archers and somehow everyday life had merged with that in Ambridge with some strange disruption of the space-time continuum. I thought, Royfield, that you sounded a bit down in the dumps last week and in need of cheering up. I was dismayed to hear you say I wouldn't care if you stayed in Canada. Of course I would. I would be distraught if the Atlantic separated us and would sense it in the podcasts. I'm sorry I couldn't make your birthday drinks in London as it's hard to get up to the metropolis on a school day. Your birthday has led me to an amazing discovery though that we are twin brothers. You are less than four weeks older than me and obviously what happened is it was a twin birth. You popped out first, then there was a bit of a delay before I arrived. Then the inevitable mix-up on the maternity ward and I was taken off by a random couple. I can't wait for the next dum-de-dum meet-up for a fond family reunion. Back to the Archers, I've enjoyed the ongoing debate amongst listeners about all the new actors sounding the same and it being confusing. I must say it really hasn't bothered me. I used to love listening to Ambridge Extra and there were whole swathes of programmes with various Russians and friends of Jamie Perks in different storylines who I struggled to identify. I just lay back and let it all wash over me without worrying about who was who. I must admit I found the whole experience rather pleasant. Happy Christmas to one and all. (laughs) 
Mike's heart is not in the bottling plant. It's so awful when your heart goes out to the bottling plant, isn't it? It's devastated so many families. Anyway, looks like he's lost interest in the whole stressful filling up the bottles with milk thing as a career. And something vital's blown up, so that's that. And now someone set fire to his van, probably Jazza. And presumably harassment burns is on the case, which means it won't get could, solved. Could that be as... Freddy being a teenage delinquent? Ooh, it could be. Ooh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Oh. Mm, yes. Like maybe, you, Teenage Delinquent. Yeah, maybe I will leave that bit in the podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, presumably harassment burns is on the case, which means it won't get solved as nothing does unless it involves an upcycled teapot. So that means it can take over the milk round. Quickly, please, we don't want another elastic storyline. Chop, chop. Ruth bombed up to Prudder to help Heather, who'd fallen over her teeth again. The prospect of Ruth's speciality turkey feet and chips will get her up about in no time. Heather now needs rehabilitation, whether it's rehabilitation from living in Prudder, having Ruth, or having a wonky hip, we're not sure. Jill seems to be attempting to prove herself as David's favourite wife in Ruth's absence, which is a teensy bit <laughs> icky. She's getting up in the middle of the night to bring him coffee, deliver calves and serve him cake 14 times a day. But it's not all bad news. Adam's fully stretched, apparently. So there's always good news for someone. Haley got stood up by Roy the Rat and it was all a bit gut-wrenching, especially as we were all shouting, yes, 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 but that was Jess in the changing room. Jess of the salmon, Jess. And she was up the duff crepes. <laughs> Get out of the way, Haley. we want to see Jess. Which did not make us feel very good about ourselves. Uh, Freddie had a proper Kevin the Teenager moment and managed to take the whole of Lower Loxley down in one fell swoop. He wished Lisbeth was dead and said Roy and Elizabeth were disgusting. I, I which did is think true. that was a bit harsh. I wish that Dad was here and you weren't. Yeah. Mm. Well, probably because Dad was slightly less likely to be shagging Roy, I'd imagine. <laughs> um, Jess then pitched up. But you wouldn't necessarily put that, you know, that, that's, even that's conceivable, because he's a public schoolboy, wasn't he, Nigel? And they, they get up to all, you know, that's not such a big leap for, that, for those types of gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> all public schoolboys are gay, is that what you're saying? No, I'm just saying they, they have kind of tendencies that way and they just call it you know just uh, a, a, a rather intimate handshake joshing banter and all that yes mm. Mm. just messing around with a friend yeah. Does, doesn't yes. mean anything his, his <laughs> willy just fell into my hand whoops <laughs> into his hand <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I think that's unlikely anyway poor old poor old Freddy <laughs> Well, wait a minute. None of those descriptions is right. Freddy is neither old or poor. No, he's an idiot. That's what he is. Yes. But it's not nice, though, is it? I mean, it's bad enough when you're that age. It's bad enough contemplating your parents having sex at all. But the idea of your mum having sex with the man who's been following you around, telling you off every time you, you know, fail to put your chewing gum in the bin correctly and is 15 years younger than her... And is an idiot, you know. That's horrible, isn't it? Well, I think you need telling off if you burnt down Mike's uh, milk float. We don't know that. That's yeah, just yeah, it was Freddie Parker. No, <laughs> get Harrison Burns on it. I've solved the case. We don't need to get him on it. You're off the West Midlands, can't you? You've kind of got yeah, the serious West crime West squad. squad. <laughs> yes, him. Knock him up, quick. <laughs> 
guilty until proved innocent. Um, Jess then pitched up Avec the Rob Bump or the Rob Bump at Helen's cottage. <laughs> Jess over-enunciated in a vaguely psychotic-sounding manner and Helen adjusted her blinkers. Jess went on and on about Rob's irresistibility to such an extent that we may need to rethink the Titchy Knob moniker. <laughs> It no longer seems appropriate for a man who can act like Norman Bates and then have women queuing up to sleep with him, albeit total nutjobs. Rob Titanic knob looks good from the outside. It's huge, but when you get on board, it's a bit chilly, and then before you know it, you're going down. Anyway, at one sketch, he said to Helen, oh, as long as you're not brooding about it. Hmm? About what, darling? X Factor? Oh, about your wife turning up here pregnant? No, never gave that another thought. Um, Ed's back on the tractor work. Charlie's letting him Yay. play with the tractor again as long as he promises not to change the radio station, adjust the seat or hoot the hooter. Leonie has got his birth thing down pat. She's using the old fat and sugar is good for breastfeeding excuse to shovel cake. Personally, my youngest child is nine and I'm still eating like a hod carrier. They're going to have a naming ceremony for young Bagheera Montgomery Sinjin Bellamy Snell at Ambridge Hall. His numerology chart suggests he'll keep making the same mistake over and over again, introducing people to his mother, probably. So that was the week that was in Ambridge. Tune in next week when Heather gets a new hip, Haley gets even and Roy gets stuffed. Oh, you said something really funny in the middle of that. <laughs> Can you remember what it was? Because I want to talk about that bit. You can't <laughs> yeah, remember either, can you? No. Oh. The bit that made it was the rude bit that made you laugh. It's always the rude bits that make you laugh. No. Oh, passive aggressive Jess. Oh, no, vaguely psychotic. The, Jess. Yeah. Yes. I. She's not right, you know. Well. Rob is not I, right, I but she ain't right either. I was either. thinking about it this morning. Hmm. I think what's happening is because they're doing it well and they're doing the gaslighting thing very, very well. And to make sure that we are going to even contemplate the fact that Rob might be playing with a straight bat, they have to make Jess sound as ambiguously, potentially bonkers as him. It wasn't ambiguously bonkers. She was completely and utterly, as you would say, passive-aggressive. and this... She's furious! What? She's absolutely furious! But wait a minute, this wasn't... This didn't sound like a woman on the edge of a nervous breakdown because she's been left with her she husband's child. She sounded Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She yeah. went in there and whatever, like she was... Like it was still her house, she was Lady Muck. And all that, all that stuff about, you know, how Robbie's so irresistible, mm. that is... I'm telling you, these script writers are playing an absolute blinder with this. Oh, yeah. And this woman is as barking as Rob. She really? absolutely is, yeah. This isn't a woman that's been damaged by Rob. She's gone into that relationship being a screw loose, having a screw loose. Absolutely. And again. But she, do you remember when she, when we were first introduced to them and there was all that rubbish about the flipping salmon and all this mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. she didn't sound like that then. She sounded... But to be fair, when Rob first came, he sounded like a, as the Americans would say, a stand-up guy, you know. Yeah, that's He true. did. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. just yeah. so stand-up and straight to the point of being vanilla and boring. Yeah. You know, it's just a case of... Oh, he now, is he? Absolutely <laughs> not. And the subtleties that they're thrown into this are absolutely great because you find yourself not rooting for 
the scorned, wronged, pregnant woman. That's yeah. genius writing. That's yeah. genius. Yeah. When you go, oh, I don't like her though. Quickly, whiz over to the poetry tent because the lower locks laureate's there. Oh, every festival needs a poetry tent. Yes. And um, did did was uh, Bert Fry's warm up man? <laughs> he's not, he's taken over the Bert Fry mantle. He, he has, hasn't he? He has. He is our Bert Fry. Hello, all. The Locksfield Laureate here. Speaking to you from the most talked about music festival of the summer. Locksfest provides the inspiration for two new limericks. A radio DJ is dishing the dirt. Leslie blamed Roy, now he's feeling hurt. He's getting the blues, trying to fill Nigel's shoes, so he's having a go at his shirt. A troublesome childhood in a gang of punks. Now Roy Tucker is one of the hunks. But if Haley discovers, he and Lizzie are lovers. He should abscond with the Tibetan monks. <laughs> First, before all that, Lucy V. Freeman. Oh, who are you? I can't think. Uh, what do you mean, who am I? Oh. Let's not get existential. It's first thing on a Monday morning. Just to, <laughs> and please tell us about the last week. That will do. Oh, go on then. <laughs> what, you want me to start? Yeah. God, nothing like a big build-up, is there? The Pooh Factory looks to be going ahead. Hoorah! This week in Ambridge made the world at war look light and flippant. It seemed to be raining <laughs> solidly on every episode and everything was accompanied by the gloomy thrumming of rain on roofs. It added a bit of Brechtian despondency to what was already a laugh a minute. Brian was unaffected, though, and apparently hugely amused at Roy and Elizabeth's affair. Yes, it is always hilarious when people have affairs and rope their children in, isn't it, Brian? How is Rory, by the way? Uh, Charlie is playing hard to get. He's disappeared. And Adam's been trailing around the village on his BMX, stopping people and saying, Um, have you seen Charlie? Uh, it doesn't matter if you haven't, because I'm, like, so not bothered. But, you know, have you at all? No? He got so despondent, he transferred his affections to the sheep and crutched them in instead. I think that's the sheepy equivalent of a back second crack. The poor sheep <laughs> must dread Adam looming on the horizon. Run! It's Adam again! Charlie's not answered his calls and he's got a pair of nutcrackers in his hand. Helen is doing all those little jobs around the house that need doing. Polishing the knives and forks, sewing on buttons, cutting the lawn with nail scissors, hoovering out the holes on the cheese grater and polishing the gravel. Oh, Rob I had a hook and I put on my jacket on, on Saturday. I bought this jacket from uh, Religion uh, on Portobello Road and I love it. It's an asymmetrical thing. The thing is, it was for, bought from a sample shop and then the problem is the button didn't quite work. So I had a hook and I put on by a lovely Oriental lady. It cost me £2.50. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just when you said, you know, sewing on buttons, it just reminded me. It's you a lovely need a jacket, Helen, don't you, know. you? You need a Helen. You need somebody to sit at home and polish your gravel and... No, because I don't put like subservient women. No, no, no. Well, not beat me. Oh, so, so there's, is there no middle ground? There's only two types. <laughs> <laughs> women that beat you about the face and neck and doormats. That's it. <laughs> Clearly, I'm joking. Before I get the rude email, I am joking. <laughs> 
Oh, anyway, where were we? Helen, polishing, polishing forks and knives. Cool. Right. Rob has graciously permitted Helen to visit Emma and even talk to Bert on the green. We don't want you getting lonely, said Rob to Helen. No, not lonely, just dependent and scared. David and Ruth called a family meeting to discuss their ludicrous plan to stick the farm on Gumtree and take all the cows <laughs> to live in a bed and breakfast in Northumbria. <laughs> All Kenton thought about was the cash. Elizabeth got stroppy. Shula was bewildered. Same old, same old. Well, we got them all on board, said Ruth mentally, after the whole family had started shouting and then left. Uh, Fallon's starting to sound as if she is losing the plot ever so slightly. She screamed with delight about an open-air film night at Arkwright Hall, sulked because Emma couldn't then go with her, snapped at Kenton and pretended that she couldn't even remember who Harrison was. Oh, just give it up. I know what'll happen. Linda will end up doing a live one-woman reconstruction of the Battle of Bosworth. There'll be a horrible incident with the cannonball and Harrison will canter to the rescue and Fallon will faint. This sort of nonsense always happens at Christmas and secretly I love it. <laughs> Shula and Elizabeth sat in the folly appropriately enough, and discussed Elizabeth's inability to manage balls. She fessed up about tent flaps to Shula, who was relatively supportive, bearing in mind her own history of flagrant tent flappage in her younger days. <laughs> you know those plaques in National Trust homes that say Elizabeth I was believed to have slept here? There's one plaque in Ambridge that says Shula Archer did not have sexual intercourse here, and that text <laughs> is hot. Justin Elliott is coming to the Hunt Ball. Ooh, we finally get to see him, or hear him, whatever. I'm fully expecting him to appear dressed as Darth Vader with lots of sinister speeches. I hope to God Susan never gets to meet him. She's got a thing about evil capitalists. She gets a bit breathy with Charlie, but the village shop will be awash if Justin ever makes it through the door. Linda auditioned for flops and was offered the challenging role of prompter. Her sniff now deserves a separate listing all on its own. I think it's up for a BAFTA. The only thing that outperformed it this week was Phoebe Tucker, played once again by Princess Margaret. Mm. She took her dad down like a 20s flapper armed with an AK-47 and the airwaves rang with the sound of listeners cheering. She called Elizabeth a tart. And after a night with Roy, a tart with a soggy bottom. The end! can't say stuff like that it's a family podcast it's a soggy bottom because they were in a tent oh yes what did you think well I <laughs> 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 a bit faint all right <laughs> i can't say what i thought but i actually think you were hedging your bets with that i think you're thinking well hmm right generally if people do that type of thing the type of thing that they they'd done allegedly like the female person can end up with a socky bottom but that but you're hedging your bets by saying that because then also they were in a tent and they could have been some some dampness <laughs> thank you royfield i just thought i'd just deconstruct construction <laughs> Anyway, um, on that deconstructive note... Yes, um, it's deconstruction, yes. Yes, I think we should hit the phone lines because we've got a barrel load of listener calls this week. We so, have. shall we crack on? Crack on. Hello, hello, hello. This thing working? Hello? Uh, this is um, Sir Duckling Tuft. You were requesting um, Archer's uh, crushes, I believe. Well... My crush, of course, my... Hang on a second, hang on. Yes, come in, come in, come in. Oh, yes, yes, please, come in, come in, yes. 
come in. Let's pop your clothes on the stool over there. I'll be with you in a second. Just have to uh, uh, cast this pod, then I'll be with you. Yes, now, my crush, my archer's crush, is, of course, the redoubtable Anthea Jennings. She's managed to turn her arms around single-handedly, and anyone who can rule Matt and Lillian with a rod of iron and have them uh, meeting the, the, the rigour of fixed luncheon breaks is a sort of woman for me. She can come and grapple with my schedules any time she likes. She's a fine filly. No one wears a brogue quite like her, and I'd be very happy to wax her jacket. Now, there you have it, the redoubtable Anthea Jennings. Now, where was I? Oh, do excuse me, madam. I think uh, my hands are a little cold. Well, it's outrageous, says Adam, as Debbie's got the old heave-ho. Well, it is ridiculous giving her the boot just because she lives in a different country to the farm she manages. Lots of people (laughs) work remotely. I mean, I live in East London and I oversee a small wildlife park in Gdansk. And that works perfectly well. (laughs) I mean, obviously, I'm not there to see any of the animals, but I look at them over Skype and they seem absolutely fine to me. Can I just quickly just jump in? You can. All right. My boy... Noah? Was, yeah, was in a meeting with us just last week, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, via Skype. Over the way in Toronto, and it was, come to work with your dad day. And he said, Dad, can I come and work with you? And uh, so we <laughs> did it over Skype. And I wasn't horrible, but he had to do work. But he, we, he took notes from the meeting, and he emailed them back to us. And I was so proud of the boy. But there you go. So you can work remotely via Skype. You can even do podcasts via Skype. It probably couldn't be something like a painter and decorator remotely. But most things you probably can. I'm still not sure about farming. It's just a, it's just a matter of time before technology keep, you know, catches up and you actually will be able to do painting and decorating remotely. <laughs> because you can actually now feed your pet remotely and give it a treat via an internet app. Right. So there you go. Yeah, but not 750 cows. <laughs> no. I, that, that presents something more of a problem. And, I got, and I'm kind of on BL's side with this, because how on top of things is she really? Exactly. Mm. Anyway. It's um, a fault for messing around with Stephen Mangan. Mind you, given the chance, I'd quite like to be messing around with Stephen Mangan rather than looking right. after 700 you cows. You just want to be working over in LA, do you? Uh, I don't care where he is. I'll go, I'll go to him. <laughs> Uh, but Lucy, yeah, yeah, you've got a monologue to deliver. Sorry, Look, you need to just keep on track. Don't get sidetracked. Sorry, yeah. Martin, <laughs> don't distract her. <laughs> Big question this week: Does anyone still eat jelly? Jim demanded desperately. Well, do they? And a few discoveries. Nathan Booth will do anything for cheesy biscuits, so that's good to know for when Kathy <laughs> Kirk gets really desperate. Uh-huh. And the Aldridges are going to buy Brookers. Difficult to take a business decision of that magnitude when the proposition's being made by a man in Tigger pyjamas, but there you go. <laughs> Jenny Darling's got her eye on the farmhouse itself to turn it into one gigantic kitchen with hot and cold running rock for. And Brian is secretly planning to use it as a sort of holding pen for any other offspring that might pop up in the future. Alan, the disappearing vicar, popped up to do the Remembrance Sunday service, which was very moving, until Peggy took a header into the font. Shula offered to examine her, but as that would involve Peggy getting on all fours while Shula lifted up her feet one at a time and slapped her on the arse, Peggy wisely declined. Jenny Darling checked up on Peggy the next day and she didn't get out of her chair, Jenny Darling noticed anxiously. I think the truth needs to come out. Peggy is pissed. She's at the end of her tether with the philandering, whinging bunch she's stuck with as a family, so she sought refuge in the Tio Pepe. 
She can't stand up because she sank a couple of bottles just to give her the strength to sit next to Shula without braining her with a handbag. There was an interesting couple of minutes about the preparations for Peggy's party. Pat said she'd mostly be making quiches and tarts. Quiche soup and tart soup. Jenny Darling was hedgehogging about doing Peggy's album. It's a difficult second album you have to watch, Jennifer. It did give us a chance to appreciate the fact that Jenny Darling is the only person in the universe who still says super duper. Uh, Pat described Peggy as a bit starchy. Understatement of the century, she's starchier than a jacket potato sandwich. Brian noticed that reception must be an awful come down for Roy. Oh, yes, so much more lowering than being acclaimed for your ability to sort out the ginger nuts for a drawing pin convention and then standing crying and hiccuping outside your boss's window with six Macallans washing around inside you. George Grundy, who is rapidly becoming my hero, has been drawing terrifying pictures of the end of days. He drew a psychotic turkey. George's religious fervour, bolshiness and general ability to bring chaos wherever he goes is extremely inspiring and he will be taking over Joe's mantle of wandering disaster once he reaches adulthood. I don't understand why Henry Archer gets in the neck when it's George Grundy who's actually <laughs> the devil's spawn. He's not right, is he, that, that, that character? <laughs> He is. I am expecting very soon to people noticing crows nailed to walls. <laughs> like it won't be long, will it? <laughs> but you can understand why George is like he is. He has a grandfather who molests ferrets and tells the fortune through turkey guts. His grandmother's changed voice twice in the last... Great-grandfather. Sorry. It... His great-grandmother's changed voice twice in the last two years. His dad's his uncle and his uncle's his dad or something. His mum's <laughs> Becky thinks she's Karen Brady and his stepdad shot his dog. It's mm. amazing he's just drawing pictures and he's not on Jeremy Kyle. Uh, the archers had a good laugh about Johnny's northern accent. Ha, 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 aren't northern people sweet? They're hilarious with their poverty and their funny accents. What's wrong with these people? They can understand Jazza, who seems to speak entirely without using vowels, as far as I can hear. <laughs> Route B, which even the village has now lost interest in, never mind the listeners, is being attacked again by Linda under the aegis of Robert's friend Con. Con. Does that sound like someone she should be taking advice from? He might as well be called Big Fat Liar. But then we had the big story at Bridge Farm. Mm -hmm. Toby started channeling Frank Spencer and told... Oh, wait a minute, I'm sitting down for this bit, Lucy. I'm paying (laughs) attention now. Ah, Tony started channelling Frank Spencer and told St Johnny that Henry had a little bit of a cold, so he was left to the tender ministrations of St Johnny while Helen took Peggy into Borsetshire for a Brazilian. The backstory here (laughs) that no one knows about is that Otto the Bull, who has shown zero interest in any of the cows he's supposed to be rogering, has a keen interest in musical theatre. (laughs) <laughs> and anxious to be involved in Peggy's festivities. He heard St. Johnny and Tony discussing the music for Peggy's party and Tony dismissing a mashup of Tiny Temper and Tommy Croker. So when Tony moved him out, Otto couldn't resist a little mashup of Tony's chest. <laughs> Met Hitler in him just could not be restrained, so he demonstrated the old shuffle hop step, except he did it on Tony. And poor old Tony ended up in hospital with Pat being brave. In a way, it was a good job it was Tony and not Brian. You can have soup through a feeding tube, but venison pasties would be a nightmare. So, on that sad note, we'll leave it to St Johnny to sum up. Ah, oh, balls! Brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. No. He went, Granddad! <laughs> 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 
I right now. Hmm. Yes. I know it's not my place to really talk about my feelings about the archers. I just kind of just like to say hi, hello, and you just wind yourself up and you just go. However, I can't take any more excitement in the archers. <laughs> I'm an archers fan. I don't want excitement. I just want. You know, We've had two calls this week that say exactly that. Oh, I just, seriously, it's too much. If too I much want much. excitement, I'll watch Claude, John Claude Van Damme or Jason Statham or whatever. I want character-driven... produced show. Exactly. Want I want, and I want to be able to moan about the Flower and Produce bloody show, yes. the Harvest Festival, and the bloody Christmas plays. That's what I want, and I want to moan about them. I can't take this death, destruction, people being jilted. It's too much for me. Hello, Fifi Fanshawe here. How did Kirsty get to Costa Rica with a friend to party hard? Changed the booking? Bought friend's flight? Hope she charged Tom's credit card? Helen's weepy over Henry. Rob is there while she's a wreck. Holds her hand and holds the fort and holds the lead around her neck. Peggy's taxi bill's enormous to Jenny, Tom and Pat she flew. Mending fences, building bridges. She'd probably fit a kitchen too, now that Jenny's builder's bottled. And how's she gonna boil an egg? Plus the pain in Brian's backside started going down his leg. Adam's going all Mike Tyson. Could he lick young Charlie boy? Give it time, it's bound to happen. The best man for that job's not Roy. Susan's fawning worm has turned and bitten Jenny on the hand which offered cast-off sticky drawers. Not something Ambridge View could stand. Clary's near the big six-o. Susan bursts into a song. Eddie plans a seventies party. What could possibly go wrong? Dan exclaims he's rubbed up topper. Not something to shout about. When he joins his regiment, they'll stamp that kind of horseplay out. Tom, in existential crisis, on Pat's shoulder sheds a tear. Tony kicks him when he's down. Nice going, father of the year. Tony, look into the mirror. What do you see within its frame? You or Tom? Look closer now. You'll find that you are much the same. You'll see a man who feels he's done the right thing, never mind the cost, whose parents-son relationships have foundered and are all but lost. Hello Dumpty Dum, it's John from Newcastle here. Just a really quick message this week. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the archers that much, except to say that I am really looking forward now to the Blythe Spirit episode on Boxing Day. Um, Following Lucy's recommendation on last week's podcast, I looked up the Blythe Spirit film on iTunes, um, the one starring Margaret Rutherford and Rex Harrison, and it was absolutely brilliant. I really enjoyed it. So I can't wait to see that, um, hear that rather, should I say, on Boxing Day, um, and hear the archers' take on it, particularly Linda doing Madame Marcati. I think it'll be great. Uh, no, the reason I really want to call in this week is just to say um, a big thank you and Merry Christmas to the two of you and to all the other listeners. It's been a genuine pleasure to listen to you this year um, and to hear everybody and speak to you all on Twitter, of course. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it and 
my weeks wouldn't be the same without it now. So a big thank you. I hope you both have a fantastic time over the Christmas period. I hope all the listeners have a fantastic time. And I look forward to speaking to you and hearing from you again in the new year. Thanks very much and bye for now. Oh, uh, also, don't forget to check your PayPal stocking because I think Santa might have slipped something in there. Once again, a massive thank you. And I hope that goes some way towards keeping this fantastic podcast on the air. Thank you again and bye for now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.